0: I keep in my desk this little typewriter ball, IBM Selectric typewriter ball. It's the uh, Greek text, actually. I keep it in my desk to remind me that things don't last. Because you see, when I was in seminary, this is how we had to do papers, right? And um, so your research papers, you had to write the Greek and Hebrew into the paper. So you had to have three of these little things because you had to have the English. Then you had to have the Greek. Then you had to have the Hebrew. And every time you came to a spot in the sentence that it had to change, you had to unclip it, take it out, clip it in, type that word, unclip it, take it out. It was a long and tedious process. But... I keep it because it reminds me that we don't have to do it that way anymore. (laughs) And uh, now we have computers and, you know, keystroke and the font changes and, oh, it's so easy now. You know, it's not fair we had to do all that stuff before, right? In fact, I sold my hunting rifle to buy my first computer. A Tandy 1000, which is a, a dinosaur, is probably in landfills, I'm sure, today somewhere, because nobody uses that anymore. Typewriters, eight tracks, remember those? Floppy disks, who uses those anymore, right? Mimeograph machines, all obsolete. When I started as pastor at Galley Baptist Church, Alice Grover, I don't know if Alice is here this morning, but Alice Grover and I shared the little counting room. That was our office. We shared it together. <laughs> and every week, she had to do the bulletin on a mimeograph machine in the closet out there in the Family Life Center. And uh, she was covered in ink quite often by the time she was done. Um, Alice did the bulletin every week on the mimeograph. She didn't look like this woman, though, in the picture. Things become obsolete. And I don't mean Alice. (laughs) Wow. She is sure glad she missed this Sunday, isn't she? According to Hebrews 8, God's new contract renders his old contract obsolete. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. Hebrews 8, verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect A new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The old covenant rendered obsolete by the new covenant. Now, the quotation comes from Jeremiah chapter 31. The prophet Jeremiah who predicted the new covenant some 600 years before Jesus Christ walked on this earth to establish that new covenant. See, God planned to make the Old Covenant obsolete when Christ came and died on the cross. It was planned obsolescence. The cross changes everything. Why? Why did God plan to make the Old Covenant obsolete when He established the New Covenant? Well, principle number one. External contracts cannot guarantee internal change. There was a problem. Look at verse 9. He says, The new covenant is not not like the, the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. All right, God made a covenant with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. When he brought them out of slavery in the land of Egypt, and they spent their time in the wilderness, and he brought them into the the promised land, he made a covenant with them. And Moses, of course, was the mediator of of that old covenant. He established those principles of blessing for them and how they could remain in right relationship with Him, and how they could enjoy His blessings in the land. God set up boundaries for His people to protect them from all the influences that would lead them away from God. I mean, the laws of the Old Covenant, the Ten Commandments, if you will. The laws of the Old Covenant were not given because God was some cosmic killjoy and just didn't want us to have any fun up there, uh, you know, on this earth. The laws were given to protect people. God set up hedges. He set up fences around the people so that they could remain in right relationship with Him and enjoy His blessings. The problem was not with the law. The problem was not specifically or inherently with the old covenant. The blame is not to be placed there. There was nothing wrong with the old covenant as it stood. The problem was with the people. Did you notice how he started out there in verse 8 for finding fault with not the old covenant with them. What was the problem with them? Sin was the problem. They did not remain within the boundaries, the fences of the old covenant that God had set up. They disobeyed disobeyed the law. They went outside those fences. The law was good, it was designed to protect them and keep them safe in relationship with God. The problem was that the law was an external force that didn't change what was inside the people. External contracts cannot guarantee internal change. What they needed in order to fulfill what God wanted was a heart change. So when Jeremiah wrote these words, the nation had, not long before, had had a wonderful revival under King Josiah. 2 Kings 22 and 23. They had found the book of the law, the word of God, that had been long dormant. They hadn't been paying attention to the book of the law. They had discovered this book of the law, and they started reading the word of God. And, and a great revival was instituted in the nation of Israel. And people began to live by the book again. And they began to, to study it and, and, and follow it in their lives And the leadership of the nation under Josiah changed everything about how the the, the nation was to function. But it didn't last. It didn't last. Because it was enforced, yes, by Josiah and the the others. But after repenting nationally of their sin, after weeping and, and crying over this And enforcing all of this, the people then ended up turning away from God all over again. And God sent them into captivity. And Jeremiah is writing as they are getting ready to go into captivity. And so he writes in Jeremiah 31 about a new covenant. They were now going to reap the consequences of their sin. God was judging them. Why did they turn away after, as a nation, discovering the Word of God and trying to live by it? Why did they turn away? Because external contracts can never guarantee internal change. Laws can never change hearts. It's the same problem we have as parents, isn't it? With our children, we establish rules as they grow up. The rules are good rules. They're not because we're some meanies. We want to protect our kids. They're designed to protect them and teach them to walk with God. But they grow up. And they, they move out from under our rules. And they make their own decisions in life. And folks, we cannot guarantee that our children will continue in the ways we have taught them to walk. You can't guarantee that as parents. If there is no internal heart change, then the external rules won't keep them there. They move on to live outside the contract that we had with them as children. And then they reap the consequences of living outside that contract. Nothing wrong with the contract. Nothing wrong with the rules. The problem was that they may not continue to follow those. And they end up making a mess out of life. External contracts cannot guarantee internal change. Well then, why do it? Why did God establish the old covenant then? Why did he set up those rules with the fences all around them? Why do we do that as parents? What is the purpose of the law? Well, he's going to get there in his argument in Hebrews, but we'll just jump ahead and get there, all right? Hebrews chapter 9 and verse um, 10. He's talking about all of the rules and everything under the Old Covenant, and he says, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. There's your purpose. That's the purpose of the law. It's to get people to the time when the heart change can take place when the Reformation can take place. The purpose of the old contract was to protect the people until the time of Reformation. In other words, God wanted to set up fences to protect the nation of Israel until the time when God could, could fulfill His plan to change their hearts. The external contract is designed to get to the people to the point of accepting the internal change. The law reveals our sin, right? That's the purpose of the law. It shows us our sin so that we will accept God's solution. On a warm summer night, William Wimmer, pastor of Grace Chapel in Benton, Arkansas, and his wife were traveling in their car with Micah, their three-year-old son, who was sitting in the back seat. After driving in the darkness for many miles they came to a stoplight and the the light from the stoplight illuminated their windshield which was covered with bugs and dirt and all kinds of stuff that was splattered across the windshield that they had noticed in the dark but now that the stoplight illuminated it you could see it and from the back seat Micah pipes up Look! Dirty! Light changes They drive into the darkness and they didn't think much about it until Micah pipes up from the back seat and he says, look, clean. But it wasn't clean, was it? You just couldn't see it in the darkness. Well, the law is like that light. It shows the dirt. In the darkness, the dirt is hidden. We don't see it. But when God gave the law, its light shined on the windshield of our hearts, revealed the filth of sin we'd collected on our journey in life. The law, then, is a light that shows us how sinful we are. It cannot cleanse us, though. It doesn't make the windshield clean just because you shine a light on it. And the law doesn't make us clean just because it shines light on our sin. It can, however, point us to the one who can make us clean. And that's the purpose of the law. Second principle then. When, there we go, when God changes our hearts, we can obey his laws. Verse 10. For because... This is the covenant, the new one, that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them upon their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. When God changes our hearts, then we have the capability, the capacity to obey his laws. Because we're changed from the inside out. Leighton Ford once said, God loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. (laughs) My friends, you will never be able to obey God's laws just by forcing yourself to do it. In fact, lots of religious people try to do that, don't they? Okay, I'm going to be righteous. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be perfect. How long does it last? Well depends upon our will but maybe an hour (laughs) you know it doesn't last very long right because it's all us it's all external we inevitably break the contract we make a mess of our lives but God knows all that and God loves you too much to leave you that way so God made a way to be right with him and the new covenant is the way It is the way in Christ. God says that in this new contract, He will actually change us inside so that we can be what He wants us to be and do what He wants us to do. God loves you too much to leave you in the mess you've made of your life. He will make you new in Christ. He will give you the ability then to change your life by His grace. So God says here in the new contract that he will place his laws in in our minds and he will write them on our hearts. The Old Testament Israelites had to look forward to the new contract when God would do this. But in the Old Testament, what were they told to do? Deuteronomy chapter 6. They were told to write the laws on the doorposts of their houses, right? Right? on the gates of the city, on the palms of their hands, on their foreheads, they were to write those laws. And so they developed phylacteries that they would wear that had the law of God inscribed in it. And you're to teach your children and they're to memorize and study all of God's laws every day. That's a parent's responsibility. Right? And yet they did all that And still went into sin. Why? Because all of that doesn't change what's inside. It's good. It's important. But it doesn't change the inside, you see. In the new contract, God says, we're not going to write the law on the doorposts of the house. Not that that's wrong. Or the gates. Where am I going to write it? I'm going to write the law right on your hearts. I'm going to put the law right in your minds. You are going to be changed from the inside on the new contract so that we can live out the laws as new people. So he will make us new people from the inside out because we cannot make ourselves new from the outside in, no matter how hard we try. The prophet Ezekiel wrote, Moreover, I will give you a new heart, And put a new spirit within you, God says. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, my laws. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Why? Because you've been changed inside. Now you can do it. Because I put a new heart in you and a new spirit in you. You can now fulfill the law. In January 2008, a story made the rounds about a 15-year-old girl in Australia named Demi Lee Brennan. Brennan became the world's first known transplant patient to actually change blood types from O-negative to O-positive, taking on the immune system of the organ donor. At first, the doctors assumed that this was all fake as some mistake had taken place because it's always been assumed medically that you cannot, that a change like that cannot happen. Now they say she's a one in six billion miracle. The blood stem cells in Brennan's new liver invaded her body's bone marrow taking over her entire immune system and she now has an entirely different kind of blood. Blood that welcomes life rather than carrying the death. It's it's like my second chance at life, Brennan says. Well, that's what God does for us spiritually exactly when Jesus saves us. He changes our blood type from the type of blood that carries death to the type of blood that carries life. Jesus has an entirely different kind of life. He cannot die. There's no mortality in him. And when we put our faith in Jesus, he gives us that whole new blood type for eternal life with him. And we are new and now, because we have been totally transplanted inside, we have been, become totally new, we, can now, we now have the capacity to carry out his loss as we live. So, my friends, are you ready to stop trying to make yourself good? <laughs> There's a real, real danger in that trying to make yourself good. Are you ready to quit trying to make yourself good and start with accepting the new life that Christ offers you by grace and letting God change your life from the inside out? We call that conversion. We call that salvation. It is new life. It is theologically what regeneration is all about. Being born again, a whole new person. Third principle, spiritual unity comes from knowing God personally. Verse 11, And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest of them. Another wonderful benefit of the new contract that we have with God is that the knowledge of God is planted in our hearts. We don't have to rely on the prophets, on the priests to teach us about God because each one of us knows God personally. He puts his spirit inside each of us so we can each know God in a personal relationship instead of having to rely on outside teachers to exhort us to know God. Jesus said in John 14, 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And he went on to say that he's going to place that Spirit inside of us. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit living inside of him. And the Holy Spirit is her teacher. That doesn't mean we don't need to listen to teachers and preachers. (laughs) Don't get up and leave this morning, please. It simply means that we don't need to go through priests to know God. We can know God personally, we can know God directly, we don't need the intermediaries. Every Christian knows God personally because God lives inside each Christian. We are not separated from God any longer. We don't have to go through intermediaries to know God. We can know God personally. Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright John Guare in his play Six Degrees of Separation proposes the theory that everyone on the planet Earth can be connected to everyone else by six steps. So everyone on the planet, if you knew enough, you could connect them to anybody else on the planet with only six steps, six stages of relationship. So, a leading news magazine in Germany decided to put the theory to the test. According to Time magazine, the paper asked Sala Bengali. An Iraqi immigrant who owns a a stand uh, that he sells things at there in the city, to whom he would most like to be linked, and then they were going to try and connect him in six steps. Well, Bengali chose Marlon Brando, the actor that he would like to be linked to him. So it took quite a while, but the magazine managed to relate them. A friend of Golly's, who lives in California, works in the same company as Ken Carson, boyfriend of Michelle Bevan, sorority sister to Christina Kutzer, daughter of Patrick Palmer, producer of one of the movies that Marlon Brando starred in. Six Steps. Problem is, Brando doesn't seem to be too moved by that relationship and hasn't returned any of Bengali's phone calls. (laughs) As Christians, we are never more than... How many steps removed from everyone else? That's right. One degree removed, that's it. From every other Christian in in the world... We are one degree removed. This is the whole principle of relationships in the body of Christ. All who know God are no more than one degree removed from anyone else who knows God. We all know God, so we all are in unity with one another, whether we know each other or not. So I am one degree removed from a brother in Christ who lives in Mongolia. Or a sister in Christ who lives in Chile, just one degree removed in God. And so are you. Jesus said in John 17 20 and 21, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, this is his high priestly prayer, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. That's the beautiful reality for all of us. We are one with each other forever because we are one with God. Sadly, we don't act like that most of the time in our lives, right? But we are one in Christ, and we will spend eternity together. We can go to any country and have a unique relationship with any believer in Jesus Christ when we meet them because we are one in Christ. That's one of the great benefits of the new contract that God makes with us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Fourthly, When God forgives our sins, we can begin new lives. Verse 12. For because I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. So all of this is based on the simple truth from the new covenant, the new contract that we have in God through Jesus Christ. God forgives our sins. That's the foundational beginning point. We can begin new lives because our past is forgiven. It is forgotten. That's a beautiful metaphor that describes a glorious reality. God no longer holds our sins against us. God no longer holds our past against us. We can start fresh in Jesus Christ. Every one of us has a past. Every one of us looks back to things we don't like about our past. We have sinned. We have failed. We have regrets. We want to start new, to begin again, to have a second chance at life. And we can in Christ. That's the beauty of the new contract. God gives us a second chance. We can begin again because He wipes the record clean. Our sinful past is, is sealed. That record is sealed in Christ. And God remembers our sins no longer. Author, pastor, and teacher Stephen Brown told this probably apocryphal story. I assume it's apocryphal. (laughs) To illustrate the point, though, a nun once confessed to her bishop that Christ had revealed himself to her in person. The bishop was surprised, but he knew this nun, and he knew that she had a, a very close walk with the Lord, So he said to her, look, the next time God reveals himself to, Christ reveals himself to you in person, ask him about the sins of the archbishop. Because I'd like to know some of the bad things that he's done in life. Not too spiritual here, but... Because he was her confessor, the nun said that she would act in obedience and do exactly that, if she'd asked Christ that question. A number of weeks later, she came back, and the bishop said, Well, did Christ reveal himself to you? She said, Yes. The bishop said, What did he say about the archbishop? And the nun replied, He said, I don't remember. I don't remember. Wiped clean. God doesn't remember. Somebody wants to know about your past, and they ask the Lord, what's the Lord going to say? I don't remember. I don't remember. God chooses to forget our past when we come to Him in Christ. That's the new contract that He makes with us in His blood. And we are about to celebrate that new contract this morning in what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And I encourage you to reflect on that reality. He doesn't remember it. He chooses not to hold it against you. God remembers our sins no longer. He holds nothing against us, and he makes us new in Jesus Christ. So come to him this morning and ask him to change you in Christ. Ask Him to give you a new attitude, a new spirit, a new heart. A fresh start. To change you inside so that you can change outside. God wants to make you a new you. God wants to rescue the mess you have made of life and make you a new person in Him. Will you accept Christ by faith? There's no better time than when we proclaim the Lord's death in communion than to do it right now and respond to him and have him make you new and whole. Journalist David Hodgdu told a memorable story about Wynton Marsalis, one of the premier jazz trumpeters. One night this great jazz trumpeter was playing with a small little-known combo in a New York basement club and a few songs into their set. He walked to the front of the bandstand and, and became, began an unaccompanied solo of the 1930s ballad, I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You. And the journalist records that the audience really became caught up in this song and, and, and as he played it out and, and, and the, the trumpet, he could make it almost weep. In despair as he carried out the notes and he modulated and he just really played it all out just by himself, stretching each note. And he came down to the very end of the song finally with longer and longer pauses between each note. I don't stand a ghost of a chance and he's just drawing it all out and there's this big long pause and everybody's listening for the next two notes, the last notes of the song. In this Right in the middle, a cell phone goes off. Some little ditty starts playing, one of those ridiculous little tunes, right? Right in the middle. And everybody started laughing, and the mood was broken. And the journalist wrote in his notepad, magic ruined. But the trumpeter began to play the little cell phone tune. He just picked it up. And he started to play the cell phone tune. And then he modulated from, he just kept playing and he played with that tune and he made it dance all over the place and he drew it all out and he created new modulations from that tune and he changed keys and he went all over the place with this little cell phone tune and everybody's now listening to the cell phone tune being played. And then he comes down and he ends and he makes it work right into the last two notes of the song he was originally playing. He took that ridiculous little ditty and he created beautiful music out of it. You know what? That's what God does for you and me. He takes the mess, he takes the little ditties that we make of our life, he, ma- he takes all of those silly little accomplishments that seem so cute and great and wonderful and really are really messes, right? Right? and he takes all of that and he reworks it and he, by the power of his spirit, makes it into a whole new you, a whole new song. So, as we come to communion this morning, remember, that's the new contract we're celebrating. And if you have not been made new in Christ Do so in the quietness of your heart this morning. Before you take communion, turn to him and say, make me new. Change me now. And if you have, this is a wonderful time to thank the Lord for how he's made you whole and new, no matter what you've done. Father, thank you for the new contract that we have in Jesus Christ, your son, fill us with your praise and your joy this morning as we worship you. Hymn number 201. Hymn number 201, Grace